Hi, this is Isaac Arthur. Welcome to the show and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash Isaac Arthur and use my code Isaac Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Brilliant. Throughout history, great and terrible rulers have sought to conquer the entire world. Personally, I think such a limited goal shows a lack of imagination and ambition. So today we're beginning a new series on galactic domination here on Science and Futurism with Isaac Arthur, and I am your aforementioned host, Isaac Arthur. In this series we're going to be looking at approaches to taking over the galaxy, whether it's colonizing a lifeless galaxy or conquering one already inhabited. We're going to look at the mechanics under known science, and how that will impact things, but we're also going to look at the motivations for a galactic power grab. With that in mind, we will start our series with two of the biggest tries for expansion in our own history, outright Imperial Conquest, and in order to hold it all together and keep it held together in today's episode. Then in Episode 2, Stellar Strip Mining, we look at the motivation of resource seizure and extraction. Now a common problem in discussion of interstellar efforts is the sheer amount of time and effort needed to accomplish anything, and the usual workaround in science fiction is some form of FTL travel, faster than light travel, and while we want to look at the slower than light pathways to establishing and maintaining galactic domination, we will look at the faster light context too. With that in mind, we will also finally be relaunching our FTL series this month, which has been a long-standing request from the audience, and my apologies for constantly putting it on the back burner in favor of other topics, but I think it will mesh well with this series. We'll be aiming for a hard science approach to most of this, as usual, but we will explore FTL options, and we will be using a lot of science fiction examples for discussion, and much like our Alien Civilization series, the goal is to have fun with the topic too. So if you want alerts when all those episodes come out, make sure to like and subscribe to the show, grab a drink and a snack, and let's get started. When we talk about galactic domination, we're not talking about colonizing a galaxy, we're talking about establishing and maintaining a cohesive empire across unimaginable stretches of time and space. This is the big hurdle for the non-FTL galactic empire. It isn't one for colonizing empty planets itself, on any given world, be it Earth or a colony of Earth, or a colony of a colony of Earth, some group can build a colony ship and go set up a new nation on a new world. There's no real need for any cohesion between star systems for that. Empires are another story, and galactic scale ones even more so, so today we'll be contemplating three specific scenarios, though there are plenty more and some will probably get their own episodes down the road. First, we will ask how you would go about establishing a long-lasting empire from a single homeworld like Earth into an empty galaxy at sublight speed. Second, we'll contemplate conquering a galaxy your own species and only your own species has previously colonized if you did have FTL travel. Third, we'll ask how you would do that if many divorced species were already established throughout the galaxy, as in so many space opera stories. So Scenario 1, you are Earth, and you find out the galaxy is empty of life and plan to head out and colonize it all, and you believe fast night travel and communication are impossible, but light speed communication and ships moving at a decent fraction of light speed are possible. Could you build and maintain a galaxy-wide empire? And just as importantly, why would you attempt to ensure your colonies were all unified under your government all the way out to Galaxy's Edge? Possibly for the sheer mustache-trolling evil of it all. But the problem is that no classic human could conquer the galaxy, 
because it would take a thousand times longer than any human has ever lived just for the message to make it home from the Galactic Rim that you'd finally succeeded after however many hundreds of thousands of years that colonization took. Now that ruler might be eternal, we've often discussed ways to extend human life and we're not limited to contemplating only the human or organic. One way to have an eternal empire is to have a single leader everybody loves, respects, dreads, worships, or some combination thereof, but it wouldn't be a classic single human, and so let's assume for now that the classic motivation to rule the world, or the galaxy, just for the sake of ruling it, isn't enough. Let's take this more plausible scenario. Sometime in the next few centuries we are going to be able to build a ship that can carry us to new star systems, once that happens, we might do a few modest trial runs, doing a few nearby places like Alpha Centauri or Tau Ceti, to get some practical experience, but soon thereafter it's going to hit a point where we can send out colony ships by the Armada. See our Generation Ship series for some idea what those ships would be like, and how many of them a fully developed solar system could crank out. But think billions of ships carrying many thousands of people each, or potentially trillions of seed ships which are more automated affairs. Whether we start sending out swarms of colony ships in a couple centuries or we develop slowly, taking a couple millennia to grow the solar system, it's going to take about a hundred thousand years divided by whatever fraction of light speed those ships travel to get one out to every star in this galaxy. It would take longer if we're leapfrogging, colonizing worlds than waiting for them to grow and send their own colonies off, but I doubt colonial efforts will ever come from the most freshly colonized edges of things. And while that percolating colonization slows stuff down a lot, it's not as much as we tend to assume. A colony that begins with a million people can be up to a billion at no more 20th century human growth rates in 5 centuries, and up to a trillion in 5 more, so they feel good sending colony ships out to any uncolonized system with about 100 light years and their ships move at only 10% of light speed, then even stopping and growing a new colony at each 100 light year step, which sends out new seeds, is only doubling your colonization time. In this case, colonizing the galaxy in 2 million years, as opposed to more minimalist 100,000 years of neo-lightspeed ships leaving Earth directly for their destination. We have discussed the ups and downs of both approaches, and a lot of alternative approaches in that Generation Ship series, so you're staging up to do this here on Earth a few centuries from now, and someone asked the big question, are we planting the galaxy with enemies? Actually, there's two big questions, the other is, Who is paying for this and how are they getting a return on their investment, but that's something we'll focus on more in the next episode, Stellar Strip Mining. Is colonizing the galaxy merely sedient with potential rivals? Uh, Quite possibly, but that's never stopped us before. On the other hand, it wasn't actually us colonizing Earth for instance, it was various unintelligent organisms, followed by progressively smarter ancestors of ours, all the way up to prehistoric humans. They weren't thinking their children or breakaway tribes would replace or conquer them one day. As we progressed to intelligent prehistoric humans, I'd imagine they did often worry that a piece of the tribe that left might come back stronger and unfriendly one day, whether they were leaving on good terms or being driven out. But even in more modern times, we don't really sit around thinking about how the pioneers suddenly west of the Mississippi might represent a future economic or military threat to the folks on the Atlantic seaboard. But there's no reason to do so because we can talk to them the whole time. A colony headed out to even Alpha Centauri is effectively cut off from casual interaction, so folks are going to be thinking about that threat seriously before those four ships leave. Heck, we're doing that right now and no human has ever even been born off Earth or immigrated from Earth. How do we keep these colonies from being a threat? 
Well, it's all nice to say that we can keep being friendly to them, or that they'd remember us fondly, but here's the problem. Those colonies will cost time and money, and someone was footing the bill. If it's folks scraping their assets together to flee Earth, then they presumably are not fond of it and might turn hostile in the future. If it's nations or corporations trying to get some investment underway, they need some way to turn a profit on that new colony, again our topic for next time. Either way it's not a recipe for easy friendship, and kindness is no definite solution either. There's a reason it's proverbial that the fastest way to ruin a friendship is to loan a friend money. Even if you succeed in setting up a hundred colonies that you have positive relationships with, and only one you are on bad terms with, which would be an amazing success rate, then that still means you have a hostile world out there where before you had none. And incidentally it's not a gamble you have to take. While we often talk about getting all of our eggs out of one basket, that really isn't a survival strategy at the interstellar scale. For one thing, they aren't your eggs anymore when you let them grow up alone under alien suns. For another, I can't think of a single plausible natural disaster that could wreck an interplanetary civilization and wipe the whole thing out. Even a localized supernova wouldn't take out your Oort Cloud colonies. To wipe out a fully developed solar system requires a powerful outside intelligence, which in our current scenario doesn't exist until you make one by colonizing the galaxy. Now some of you are probably saying to yourself, well you can breed enemies up at home too, which is true, but you can't be vigilant about that whereas colonies light years away are hard to monitor. And just because you have worries of internally created problems doesn't mean you should shrug and make external ones too. Yes, a big crazy artificial intelligence might arise and crush you from the inside, but it could do that on a colony too and probably easier since taking over a small colony would make a better incubator for it and a vastly easier place to get recklessly made and under-controlled. Others might be saying, yes, but don't we have a responsibility to colonize the stars? Or perhaps, and a lot of us nod our heads at that and say darn right, but the rebuttal to that is, says who? What responsibility and who exactly is that responsibility to? It sounds nice to say we have a destiny among the stars, heck I say it and similar on the show all the time, but that's usually implied to either be poetic or naturalistic, that our nature compels us to grow and expand, not something morally binding to the point of risking spawning enemies. Genesis might say be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, but it doesn't say anything about the galaxy, and while my knowledge of various religions and ideologies is anything but comprehensive, I've never heard one that specifically placed a compulsion on us to colonize the galaxy. All this may be true, you can argue those points or many others, but what really matters is that if we can see this now and worry about it now, so will the folks a few centuries from now when it's sitting in their laps as a real thing waiting to begin, not a nebulous future. We also need to remember that our enemies have reason to come home and attack us or push on us. For a very long time to come, Earth and our solar system will be the richest place in the galaxy. It not only is likely to be home to untold trillions of people, in untold numbers of settlements of major planets, moons, minor planets, and artificial space station habitats, it's going to be where virtually all the information, research, and entertainment get made and funneled through. We'll be the big source of those and we'll be the big target for folks either giving or selling or paying for things with their own locally generated R&D and entertainment and so on. We will also tend to be the natural hub of easiest reach for physical trade too, especially if we employ something like the interstellar laser highway system we've often discussed on the show. And simply having wealth increases the flow of trade and luxuries to you as the best place to sell them, which subsidizes other trade too, making it all cheaper, and making it more abundant. 
If you've got a lot of resources, folks have reason to come visit and take them. This need not be overtly hostile either, there's a lot of ways our home system might get pressured externally in ways we might not want, which can't happen if there's no one outside of here to do that, and again we're assuming there wouldn't be, for this scenario, unless we go and plant them. If it is going to happen, well maybe we need to make an effort to establish control for our own safety from the outset. Not just for our own good either, but our daughter colonies, it only takes one reckless resource team to unleash some monstrous self-replicating swarm on the galaxy seeking to assimilate us or turn us all into paperclips, another topic we will probably dedicate an episode of the series to. So how do you do it? How would you control all these systems? Probably not entirely centrally, maybe you would divide the galaxy into major sectors with capitals there and subsectors and local regions and so on, each of which has increasingly limited authority to make changes or adapt the official script, but far more day-to-day power to operate. Let's say we could make either functionally immortal humans or post-humans or machine intelligences, we'll just call them the editors a small handful of people, or whatever, who we can program or brainwash to be absolutely obedient to a specific script of rules sent out from the hub level above them, with Earth serving as the chief editor. That script might be something very specific, somewhere in between Asmo's laws of robotics and a constitution, not meant for day-to-day operations necessarily, but it might have required guidelines. Let's say we sent nine of them off to each system, these editors, and each had a laser transmitter system with the one-time pad used for communicating officially. Each transmitter requires the supermajority of editors to enter in their personal code, for which they have one for each year, in order to operate. The actual security methods or number of editors doesn't matter, other than for it to be something that isn't likely to be easy to sabotage or break accidentally, lots of redundancy but without compromising security. Any one of those editors can refuse, and must refuse because of their programming, to enter their code if the local system is breaking the rules. If that happens the system goes officially dark, and no other aligned systems can keep transmitting once they know, not just Earth, not just their local hub, but their neighbors too. If this is how official currency is moved and how research and money and information all move, it becomes ridiculously expensive to intentionally cut ties by imprisoning the editors or blowing up the transmitters, or blowing up the editors for that matter. The question is then if any given system is going to buck the rules, which probably depends on what those rules are. They might be stuff like everyone following the same currency rules, data formats, and units of measure, they might be formal rules of war and arbitration, They might be human rights, they might be definitions of what qualifies as a human, banning mutants or robots for instance. Notice there's no threat of force here yet or taxes, this is just a basic shunning system, but it's still a potent tool, especially if the rules are ones everyone agreed to before leaving. Military retaliation, taxes, tribute, and changes to those rules can certainly play a role, but at the moment this is just basically rules you agree to in order to play on the server as it were. Perhaps it's a requirement that any entertainment or R&D your system makes has to be uploaded to the hub, and compensation awarded using the agreed on method, but perhaps there's a penalty for failing to upload it, or a quota for it. The analogy here is someone able to shut down the internet, or shut out any one person who fails to follow the rules. How well would this work? Pretty well, probably, as a basic means of empire. I can think of ways to interfere in it, but also ways to patch those bugs, and I'm sure you can too. 
The key thing here is that your editors are presumably programmed to accept updates to the script from the hub level above all the way back to Earth and also presumably programmed not to seek any method of avoiding this or following the rules. You need ways to handle the rare occasions someone thinks of a new loophole, though most of the time the person who comes up with the loophole probably won't seek to exploit it anyway. Maybe you don't tell folks about loopholes you already found and patched and they are afraid the one they came up with is already known, maybe there's a large reward for folks finding one out and reporting it, maybe they just don't want to use it, you keep big war fleets at your hub wards or giant death rays for handling cases of critical failures. You've also got going for you that folks are likely more afraid of their neighbors or crazy accidents and experiments gone wrong than of you. You're a known evil back home in Empire Central Command, and odds are good they mostly like the system operating to protect them from those brigands next door or the radical researchers in that rebel system that are spawning abominations the Empire keeps in check. Indeed you might be running that radical research facility secretly just to keep some folks afraid of it and to attract the sort of folks who might be into radical research to suborn them to your cars or quietly dispose of them. Such a system might be tyrannic or democratic but let's consider scale for a moment. We'll bypass whether such systems are just single terraform plants or a full-on Dyson Swarm and just stick with there being about 400 billion star systems in this galaxy. If we assumed every layer of hub or subsidiary government or control level was two orders of magnitude higher, say 100 systems makes up a region, 100 regions a galactic precinct, 10,000 systems, 100 precincts a subsector, a million systems, 100 of those a sector, 100 million systems, and 100 of those a galactic zone, 10 billion systems, of what you need around 40 or so in our galaxy. If you're doing something like that democratically then any rules change, suggestion, or vote is taking decades at the regional level and roughly 4-5 to five times longer for each step up, so it's very likely you'd have specific tiers of control folks could shift the rules around inside at each level. Well, let's be honest, it's possible this could go on forever, give us an example of an eternal empire, but let's say it felt stifling to a lot of people anyway, that those systems near Earth and Order and vastly more developed were tired of being pushed around by Earth and little new research was really coming out, that a lot of hubs were increasingly finding ways to delay or interfere in upgrades to the official rules and that many systems just didn't care and were logging out as it were. The VAR system we suggested was mostly advantageous for interstellar banking, R&D, and IP, so some might just say the heck with it. Let's say colonization had proceeded out rather quickly and that by the year 1 million AD the signal came back home to Earth that the last stars of the Galactic Rim were colonized, and many of those in between decided, having gotten the message sooner, that they were done, screw the Empire, the galaxy was colonized and no horrible aliens had been found or crazed machine intelligences released, and they just checked out, or sought to run their own mini-Empire, which would hardly be mini all things considered. The Empire falls, many galactic precincts remain nominally unified, maybe even whole subsectors, but the thing just collapses and stays that way till someone figures out FTL. We'll say this is back on Earth too, though some other big hub ward or whichever would work. Decent odds are these wards did have a lot of military assets in R&D, and probably need to keep them up too, since they are likely to be subject to a lot of covert attacks, or even open ones, by anyone wanting to make sure they stay independent. In any event, they have FTO now and some modern Justinian gets the reins and starts dispatching fleets out to seize the galaxy. This is Scenario 2, a human colonized galaxy being conquered by humans with FTL. Faster than light or not, this is going to be a slow slog. It's a lot like the Great Crusade of Warhammer 40k, back when it was 30k, Earth heads out to reconquer and save its lost colonies and it takes them a few centuries. 
only that's terribly optimistic, 400 billion systems, each probably growing to be four Dyson swarms or at least vastly developed interplanetary systems of trillions or quadrillions, conquering one of those ought to take you centuries as it may well be composed of millions of individual nations and empires, each of which might still outnumber any empire Earth ever had. Do that 400 billion times. If you were doing that in a mere two centuries because your FTL allowed you to cross the galaxy in around a year, then it means you conquered on average 2 billion systems a year, or added 60 systems to your empire every single second, each one probably not only dwarfing any empire we've ever seen, but probably each individually being more populous than your typical space opera sci-fi galactic empire is typically described as being with trillions of citizens. Scale of people matters now because before it was all about finding some way to maintain cohesion against time and space, not politics or fleets or soldiers. A non-FTL empire relies on just finding a way to maintain cohesion, even if it was outright using brainwashing and programming on everyone, just because of the difficulty of avoiding drift and mutation and patch and update issues. Much will depend on how your travel works. If it's wormholes or gates of effectively unlimited range, then you probably have the big hub systems again with the wormholes leading to each unit below, Earth to each zone capital, each zone to sector capitals, and so on. If it's something like warp where it's space travel just faster, then everything you do administratively depends on how much faster. If faster means 10 times light speed, then little has really changed from the prior non-FTL travel. If it gets you anywhere in the galaxy in a year, then you still need lots of local control, your viceroys or ambassadors need teeth. If it's anywhere in the galaxy inside a couple of days, then folks aren't making all major decisions back at the galactic capital, faster than that and you got pizza delivery anywhere in the galaxy in 30 minutes or less. It matters a lot how fast informational material can move, because it's the difference between your satellite facilities being a franchise whose owner follows a few rules but otherwise runs the show, or a manager or clerk with much more limited authority be you an empire or a business, a fleet or a bureaucratic department. Of course as you're conquering your way out, even with FTL and probably taking systems at a snail's pace compared to your engine or communication speed, odds are good mutation will be an ever bigger problem. Back in the day and in the inner systems, you might well have had hard rules or definitions for what qualifies as a human, or acceptable variation thereof, but a couple million years of separation and isolation is a lot for regular old evolution to change, let alone active genetic and cybernetic manipulation. As we've often noted before, if it turns out the galaxy is devoid of intelligent alien civilizations, just wait a million years and there will be tons. I've mentioned Warhammer 40k's Great Crusade partially because it's a popular franchise with a lot of the audience, and partially because it deals with a lot of the extreme physical and cultural mutation and not cheerfully. In a Star Trek style universe, the aliens can all be friendly and get along with enough effort, at least till we encounter the Borg, but in that more grimdark setting, actually the origin of the word grimdark, the entirely ruthless and vile empire doing the conquering tends to slaughter anything that mutated off the human norm, and in conquering millions of worlds has a fairly large and detailed list of acceptable mutations for their conquering generals and admirals to follow. They are even worse where aliens are concerned, though how evil and stupid they are varies by author and addition. In-universe justification for all that is that aliens are mutants, not to mention actual demons, who live in the warp they use for fashion-like travel, are utterly vile and ruthless even in comparison to them. It's a setting that's built on the assumption the universe really does suck, and the only gods are dark and hungry ones. See our episode Gods and Monsters for more discussion of those kind of scenarios and their plausibility. 
For the more ruthless sorts, there's always the background option, common in our own history, that points out that wiping someone out and repopulating with loyal and ideal citizens of your own takes a bit more time but often solves problems. Needless to say, it can cause plenty too. I'll repeat the reminder that we're not discussing good or evil today, just the plausibility of approaches, and it's easy to imagine a galaxy full of divorced civilizations might develop some very nasty ones who might give the others a bad reputation, or just wipe them out till all that's left is the various vicious or ruthless empires, and their rivals, slaves, victims, and future prey. This is a point of interest though, because while we would all hope for any future Galactic Empire to be a benevolent and peaceful one, the issue with that is that folks generally do not like being told what to do, so the glue that holds empires together is generally a common goal or external threat, and the pressure pulling at the Empire against the glue is all that space and time, which is a lot when contemplating an entire galaxy. So ironically a peaceful and prosperous galaxy, composed of fairly kind and well-intentioned beings, is one that has less reason to have a galactic empire than one where war, atrocity, and carnage is an ever-present option. We'll be examining a lot of the more specific scenarios we mentioned today and many others in future episodes, but I want to close on that general notion. Fiction delights in giant empires but that does not necessarily mean they're an ideal approach, even when you can actually keep one running. And a galactic empire, even one with FTL, is one where a thousand year empire just doesn't cut it. You need to be considering stability over millions of years and millions of worlds just to pay the entry fee, so to speak, and you need a good reason to do this or an overwhelming way to enforce it. Going back to our earlier notion of folks being worried about colonizing the galaxy for fear of breeding enemies, I think to even sell it to your potential supporters to get the Empire underway, you need to have a plan for how you could not just plausibly create the Galactic Empire, but make it run eternally without the machine breaking down no matter how hard it was struck. As an upside though, if you're a ruler or cabal able to offer up a system that believably had a chance at doing that, you probably are the sort of awe-inspiring figure that folks might imagine leading such an ambitious endeavor, which is another interesting topic for discussion, perhaps some other time, not what sort of form a galactic empire might take, but what sort of person, creature, or entity might be able to govern it, a potential galactic overlord. So one of our key points from today is that a galaxy-wide empire is no easy task, even if you can go faster than light, but that apparent restriction really ups the difficulty, and it is an example of how what we see in science fiction and fantasy needs to be tempered by known science if we want to be able to better forecast the future and the key issues and challenges we'll face in it. That seemingly hard ban on FTL is not a popular one, and it can feel like science is limiting us there, but by and large science helps broaden our horizons and push our boundaries, and in my experience a greater knowledge of science and STEM fields opens so many doors, both for our imaginations and our day-to-day lives. Odds are if you're watching the show, you already know this and know the value and wonder of science, computer science, math, and logic, and you want to learn more about how our world works. And videos like ours or from the many other excellent science shows out there is a great start, but in order to really learn something, you have to do it. Our longtime show sponsor, Brilliant, is a website and app built off this very principle. You learn best while doing and solving in real time. You can jump right into solving problems and be coached bit by bit until, before you even realize it, you've learned a new subject in STEM. You won't need to memorize long messy formulas and endless facts, just pick a course you're interested in, like artificial intelligence, and get started. Feeling stuck or made a mistake? 
You can read the explanations to find out more and learn at your own pace. Brilliant has something for everybody, whether you want to start the basics of math, science, and computer science, or dive into cutting edge topics like cryptocurrency or neural networks, or try any of their many excellent daily challenges, which combined with a cup of coffee is one of my favorite ways to get my brain jumpstarted for the day. If you'd like to join me and a community of 8 million learners and educators today, click the link in the description down below, or visit brilliant.org slash Isaac Arthur. So say we start up a new series, Galactic Domination, and we'll be returning for Part 2 in a few weeks for a look at Strip Mine the Galaxy. Next week though, we'll examine brain-computer interfaces, then wrap up June with our end of the month livestream Q&A. Then we'll start July off with a long request to return to our Faster Than Light series for Cheating Reality. If you want to know us when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to help support future episodes you can donate to us on Patreon or on our website IsaacArthur.net, which I'll link to in the episode description below along with all of our various social media forums where you can get updates and chat with others about the concepts in the episodes and many other futuristic ideas. You can also follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify to get our audio-only versions of the show. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week!